Hello, everyone. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at West Village. Uh, just excited to be here. For me, it's the evening, beautiful sunset on the lake. For you, it's morning, midnight, whenever you listen to this and watch this. Um, yeah, it's great to be doing West Village on the Lake here. Uh, super appreciative for God's creation. It's awesome. It's inspiring, mildly distracting at times, but we're going to get through it and we're going to go through God's word together. And throughout the months of August, uh, this may be your first, it may be your fourth time seeing one of these, but we're doing this sermon series that unpacks kind of four of the, we're calling them movements, foundational movements or principles of West Village. Uh, and the heart here is they serve as just giving a baseline for everybody on why we do what we do and some of the things that we care deeply about. Uh, and we've made another four G's. So they're gather, go, grow, and give. And today we're going to look at give. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about money. It's going to be super exciting because uh, we're going to talk about how God wants to give it away. Uh, and so hold on. It's going to be great. Uh, but the big idea today is we get to give like Jesus, who gave willingly, sacrificially, and joyfully and I want to take us from thinking about giving as a burden uh, to giving as a joyful privilege. So let's pray before we dive in. Uh, yeah, Jesus, thank you that you call us to be givers, uh, to let your gospel inspire us to act and be sacrificial and find great joy in that. So I pray that as uh, I get to unpack your word and it gets recorded and goes out over the internet tubes that uh, it will be profound because it's your word. It doesn't return void and your spirit is at work and moving. And we trust that's going to happen wherever uh, this is heard and wherever your word is preached. So, uh, yeah, uh, give me wisdom and humility to bring this word this today. Amen. So a little background before we read the text. We're going to be returning to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you've got your app, got your Bible, flip there now. Uh, before I dive in, I'll give you a little bit of uh, some context here. It's always important. So in this period in the church, the main church in Jerusalem, which was founded by most of Jesus' disciples, has fallen on really hard times. And the Apostle Paul, who went out and actually planted church throughout a bunch of the non-Jewish world, uh, has started taking up an offering for, in some ways, like the mother church, right? It was one of the first, the first church. Uh, and so all the churches are taking up an offering, and he's gathering money, he's going to take it back to them. And Paul has heard from this, these Macedonian churches already, and he is absolutely struck by their rich generosity. And one of the reasons that we don't hear in the text, but that history tells us that this was so striking, is this region of Macedonia, which is in modern-day Greece, um, when the Romans came in and conquered, they demolished it. They bled it dry. They took all their money and resources. So it was a very now impoverished region. And so when they give so generously, it's amazing to Paul. Um, so in, the, in this context, he's writing to this church in Corinth, which is an affluent church. It's a city. It's a major metropolis hub. And he's encouraging them to give like these impoverished Macedonians. Uh, and so he wants the Corinthians and also us uh, to be inspired by this, to give willingly, sacrificially, and joyfully of their finances and of the riches that God has blessed them with. So let's read the whole section. We're going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 through 10. So let's go in together. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. 
and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged by Titus, we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and also in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through your poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Lots of stuff in there. Um, And we're going to hit kind of these key themes that I mentioned already uh, of willingness, sacrifice, and joy. I'm going to battle with the wind. It's going to be great. Uh, So what does it mean? Let's look at willing first. What does it mean to be a willing giver? And we see in verse 3 that they gave entirely of their own. That's how Paul describes the Macedonian church and their giving. And and so it shows us that giving is not this dreadful task that we have been given. It's not a weary burden that we carry. Uh, It's not something we do to make others happy or because the church asks us to. uh, But it's something that's unwillingly. And we'll see some other characteristics later, but let's focus on this. Um, it's something that we hear about and we're convicted and inspired to do. Uh, and just like the Macedonian church, we should be people that see a need and respond to it without any debate or pleading from leaders. Uh, and this is why Paul applauds the Macedonians for their willingness. And so what about us? He goes on in verse 10 to 12 and he says, And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. I'm sure you all love hearing someone say that to you. If I came to my wife and said, and here's my judgment about what's best for you. Uh, but Paul's an apostle. Uh, he has God's words here. It's powerful. It's authoritative. So let's listen. He says, last year you were, not the, you were not first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. It's not often in our culture. The best thing for you, or that you hear about the best thing for you, is giving your money away, right? Uh, And not just giving it away, but being eager to do it. But this is Paul's message to us. Have this desire to give. We need to be a people defined by this impatience to give. uh, Because Jesus has so much, there's so much want and need and opportunity really out there to give. And as a people, we want to have kind of that angstiness, that urgency about it, that willingness. Uh, And this is not just a one-time task, but a lifestyle of giving and then looking for the next opportunity to use money to bless people in Jesus' name. Uh, And it's when this one is willing, their giving starts to become this beautiful offering to Jesus. Our willingness actually kind of puts this, I'll use the word, fragrance on our gifts. uh, And it makes them pleasing to God. This draws up imagery of like Old Testament sacrifices and incense and using the best. Uh, And he says this in verse 12 where he says, If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. 
When a person is willing, the amount they give doesn't matter. You're giving a dollar, you're giving a million dollars. If the one giving a million dollars is coerced and unwilling, it's not a fragrant offering. It's fragrant in the wrong way. It stinks. It's not acceptable to God. But if you give that dollar willingly, it's pleasing. It's acceptable. It's good. God loves that. Our heart posture defines our gifts, defines how God looks at them. Um, and when one is willing, it also starts to remove the temptation to selfish giving. Because uh, when we're willing, we don't hold anything back, right? We're always looking for more opportunity. But when we're selfish or coerced or doing it out of obligation, we're tempted, right? We'll, we'll give some, but we're going to hold a little bit back uh, for myself. And our willingness puts that to death. So how do we become more willing givers? Uh, the answer, we're going to see this all the time today, is we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to the gospel. And like most things, when we look there and when we look at Jesus, we find both a great example and an inspiration and a thousand other things. We can talk about Jesus all day. That's why we exist. Um, but the way that Jesus approaches life and death serves as this perfect illustration for giving uh, and how especially we approach our finances. And we're going to do this for each of the characteristics, but let's look at willingness right now. So when you think about Jesus coming down to earth, you know, he left the majesty of heaven, this perfect place, or um, just basking in the glory of the Trinity, and it was awesome. You know, he comes down to earth, he limits his power, he leaves that, he's born in the smelly barn, um, his glory is kind of hidden, um, and he does all of that. He gives so much up and comes into such kind of poverty and squander willingly, right? He was not forced, it was not a burden for him, uh, but instead it was a joy to be able to serve his father in such a way. Uh, and it's pretty amazing. But even as we continue on in the life of Jesus, if you've been following along in the Matthew series, we're at this point now where Jesus is on this march to his horrible death on the cross, and he knows it's coming. There's opportunity time and time again from when Satan tempts him to the Pharisees to all over the place where he could have just gone a different path. But he willingly takes each step down this path to his own death, this horrible death. Uh, and he has this refrain that, you know, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. Uh, he is so accepting of this and he willingly goes on to this. And hopefully that picture of Jesus and that loving willingness leads you to a place of worship. It causes you to pause and be in awe of him. Be changed by that. Because Jesus then becomes the source of our desire for willing giving. Because from that place of worship, from that soft-heartedness of being in awe of Jesus, our desire for willing giving grows. It might just be a seed now, it might be a tree in others, but it grows when we respond in that way. And it stops becoming this burden, uh, but an act of worship. Uh, <clears throat> and so that leads us into the next aspect of giving, which is the, the sacrificial nature. Uh, which we think Jesus, we think sacrifice all the time. But let's turn back to um, uh, Corinthians here. We're going to look at verse 3 again and ask the question, what does it mean to be a sacrificial giver? For I testify, this is verse 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. So Paul, speaking of the Macedonians again, remember this impoverished church, says they gave as much as they were able and they actually then went beyond that. More than they are able. They were foolish in their giving. 
Um, so once this eagerness starts to infect us, giving, maybe infect is not the right word to use at this time, but uh, I did it. Too bad. Um, the next step in giving is, is this bringing sacrifice to it, is giving as much as you're able and then some. Um, and the Macedonians, they couldn't help but give when they saw a need. Uh, they gave more than they could, be, they could afford. This is sacrifice. It's giving away what some would consider stupid amounts of money because Jesus is awesome. I would love it if I heard from everybody in West Village that they got audited every year because they were giving away too much money. Um, when the government says, you're being an idiot with this, and we hear this from financial planners from time to time with people at West Village where they're like, hey, you should stop giving. You've maxed out your tax return. And they're like, no, Jesus has inspired me. I'm willing to do more. I want to sacrifice for him. Uh, and those are great stories to hear. They are sometimes few and far between because our culture worships money, but we'll get there. Um, but Jesus is awesome. Sacrificial giving means we give till it hurts. And if you're familiar with the biblical story, with the Old Testament, you'll know the term tithing. And tithing was this idea that the Jewish people, God's people, were called to give 10% of all they had um, to the priesthood and to to Jesus, to God. Um, And that's what a tithe was. And a lot of us understand that as the picture of what it means to be a good Christian giver and have a healthy understanding of giving. And some of you hear 10% and your mind shuts down because you can't compute. Um, But Jesus actually changes the whole picture of what giving looks like in the New Testament. Uh, So we'll we'll read verse 9 here and see what that actually means. It says, For you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus did not give 10% of his life. He gave it all. He gave everything as a sacrifice to God and to save us. He wanted to bring God the most glory, and he wanted God's people to come back to him in proper relationship. So when he gave, he held nothing back. He gave it all. He gave his whole life. And that now becomes the goal. The goal is no longer 10% tithing. The goal is our whole lives for Jesus, our finances, our time, our thought, our heart, everything. We die to ourselves. We take on this new life and identity in him. So the 10% tithe of the Old Testament doesn't become the end goal anymore. It becomes the starting place. So we start and we start thinking about giving. It becomes an example, but the goal is to become like Jesus and give it all. He is the ideal of what sacrificial giving looks like. And that is daunting, that is scary, but hopefully it's also amazing. Um, Because Jesus in his sacrifice doesn't just provide an inspiration. He actually provides a means. He provides both the means and the motivation to be sacrificial givers. And we see him providing the means in this way. It is through Jesus' death that we are actually adopted into God's family. We now have this heavenly father that can take care of us. We no longer need to worry about finances and the day-to-day and the bills and all those things because the creator of the universe knows how to look after and give good gifts to his kids. He takes care of his creation and he takes care of us that much more. We get to live with the recognition that everything we have is actually owned by our Heavenly Father. And we are just called to steward it. We're entrusted it with for a season for his glory and his mission. That's what our finances are for. That's what our resources are for. That's what our time is for. 
And we can be sacrificial with those things because we know that the Father will take care of us. We know that Jesus has gone before. He knows the needs of our hearts and our minds. He knows what's best for us. That's the means because we're adopted. It also gives us this motivation for giving because Jesus gave his whole life, like I said. Even though we spit in his face again and again, he pursues us. He lived this perfect life in our place so the Father can look at us when we're adopted into his family and see the perfect life of Jesus. He died for us. And as this verse says, he took on the ultimate poverty so that you may become rich. He gave it all up. He took on your sin, all your punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, so that I could become rich. So the Father could look at me and see the perfect life of Jesus. And that's powerful. That's a truth that changes my whole life, not just my finances and my giving. And I want to give my whole life to Jesus because of this in response to that overwhelming truth. How could I hold back part of my finances? How could I keep a little bubble if that is actually permeated into my heart and my mind? So I've got to give up my fickle desires for wealth, for control, for comfort because the opportunity to give more is an amazing way to respond to this truth about Jesus. So we've looked at willing, we've looked at sacrificial, and if we stopped here, um, which some churches do, some people do, uh, my guess is that we'd all be pretty faithful givers for a year or two. Um, But slowly our giving would stagnate, stop, something would come up. It would just start to become a burden, a motion we went through, just a habit that we've developed. And giving only becomes truly sustainable, truly addictive when joy is added. So let's look at the last characteristic. What does it mean to be a joyful giver? I'm going to turn uh, back to Corinthians in verse 4. They, this is the Macedonians, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. Have you ever thought of giving as a privilege? Uh, Do you look at giving as something you get to do, not something that you have to do? This is the attitude we find in the Macedonians, right? This picture of them pleading for the joy to give is the most striking part of this passage for me. Uh, It stuck with me all week. You know, I was trying to imagine people rushing out of the gathering at the theater and lining up at the giving table and like sneaking out early to be there because they just wanted to give so badly. And they were pleading with the giving people, let me in, let me in. Um, I had a really hard time picturing that. I've only ever seen two people at the giving table. Um, but it's, it's very striking. It's very amazing uh, that the truth of Jesus and the gospel has changed them in so, such a way and that giving has become so enjoyable to them that they pleaded for it. Uh, and their joy is described as overflowing because they're so generous. But I rarely see this picture of giving in the church today. You know, money has become this issue that we talked about, that's talked about in hushed tones. You know, we're, we're always worried about offending people, how it's going to come off. Uh, it's pretty taboo in our culture and in our church. Um, and, and Jesus' church kind of feels like, you know, 
money is just this necessary evil that we have to have to pay the bills. It'd be great if we could just do this without money involved at all. Uh, and culture has really taught us, all of God's people, to hold money so tightly, to worship it, right? And giving money away in any way becomes a thing of lament, of sorrow, not joy. It's just this painful sacrifice that hurts, but I'll do it, pat myself on the back at the end, and and then be done. But God's people need to change that narrative. God's church needs to be defined by a different story. Giving needs to become this joyful act of worship that flows out of a heart changed by the life and death of Jesus. So how does Jesus and the gospel make giving this joy? We're going to turn to uh, to a different book. So turn to Hebrews with me, chapter 12. We're just going to read verse 1 to 3. Um, and this comes right after, you know, Hebrews has this great cloud of witnesses that references, but these kind of heroes of the faith, uh, and they're referencing that. <clears throat> but eventually it's going to turn to Jesus. So let's read 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So how do we run this race? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He is the example. He blazed this path. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If we don't want giving to become a weary burden where our heart is not in it, We want to look at Jesus and the joy he had set before him as he endured the cross. The joy of going back to the Father, of doing his will, of working out his mission uh, and saving God's people. And so how could Jesus endure all this? Because he knew those things. He knew the, he knew the end. He was willing to take that pain, that suffering, to give up his richness and enter into poverty for the joy you know, it's his willing sacrifice led to joy. And it seems counterintuitive, right? It seems countercultural. And that's exactly what it is. And the same is true for us. Our willing sacrifices, our willing giving, our giving our money away to the church, to other people for things that are not our own will, but God's will leads to joy. So as we become gospel givers, defined by this willingness and sacrifice, the Spirit is the one that starts moving in our hearts and bringing this joy. And this has played out in my own life over the past couple of years. You know, really when we started West Village, um, Kirsten and I, giving was just an afterthought. We'd throw our like 20 bucks a month in there. Um, But as Jesus has taken us on this journey, the Spirit really convicted me that this is something... I need to take seriously, Kirsten, the same thing, something we need to take seriously. So we set out uh, to increase our giving, uh, and this was a journey, because it wasn't natural for us. For me, it wasn't a habit I'd had as a teenager or even in my family. Um, And we had to discipline ourselves. We had to commit to this regular giving. We had to 
commit to increasing our giving whenever the opportunity presented itself. So year after year, we'd ask the question, yeah, is, is there more opportunity? Can we give a little more? Can we increase that habit? And uh, so we started forming our budget around it, setting up automatic withdrawals, and giving just became this regular part of our life. Um, but I could still find myself looking at the bank statements once a month or whenever it was uh, and thinking that, oh, West Village Church, that could be a car payment. West Village Church, enough of those could be a nice vacation every year. Uh, and then I have to remind myself it's givings an act of worship. And uh, it was, became this discipline, right? I had to do these things often. Uh, and then just this past year, maybe two years the Spirit and His grace has actually started making giving a joy in my life. And so I can look at that line on the bank statement and a smile comes to my face. I'm like, God, that's amazing. Thank you for letting me participate in your grace this way. Um, what can we do next? What can we do more? Um, how can I serve you in this way? So it moved from this burden and then to a habit and into this joyful act of worship. And it's been amazing. It's a great place to be really hope others can experience the same thing because uh, <clears throat> it's what Jesus wants giving to be for us, right? It's not just willingness. It's not just sacrifice. It's willing, sacrificial, and it's joyful. It all comes together into this beautiful act of worship, of dying to ourselves and giving it all to Jesus in recognition of his lordship and his goodness to us. So where do we go from here? How do we start, if you're not in that joyful category, it's a hard place to be sometimes, hard place to stay in maybe because our hearts are so sinful and deceptive and we just want to go back to being selfish. How do we start moving from giving being a burden to giving being a joy? First, there's a lot of resources out there around giving. Uh, we have some great ones in a, in a bit of a database. So if you have any interest around that, just shoot an email to andrew at westvillagechurch.com ask for some good giving resources, and he'll hook you up. Um, so that's the next step you can take. Um, second, if giving is already part of your life, but it's really just a habit, and you want to move it to that place of joy, ask the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to reveal that joy to you. Ask Him to reveal the goodness of Jesus to you so that you can fully appreciate that, be comforted in that, and not have to worry about where money's going to come from because you know that your Father's going to watch out for you. Take time to analyze your heart. You're looking at a bank statement and you're signing up for giving in whatever way you're giving money away. Take that moment, pause in that moment and ask the spirit to reveal what's going on in your heart. Is it just obligation? Put that to death. Recognize and thank God for the opportunities to give in your life. And finally, recognize that Jesus has this great desire to make himself known in the world to bring lost people back to him. We see that picture all throughout scripture and giving is this way we participate with him in that mission. Uh, so if you're the type of person that's like, I just want to save everybody. Why do I got to give money? I'll just go out and preach uh, or talk or hand out pamphlets. Don't hand out pamphlets. Whatever you're going to do. Um, you need to recognize that the giving of our finances is one, an act of submission to Jesus, but it also pushes forward his mission. It allows his church to go forth into a broken world and make him known. And finally, uh, if you've never had a chance to give, or giving is this dreadful burden in your life that you regret, and you signed up once, and you just try and ignore it, and when Matt talks like this, 
I'm just turning this sermon off. Well, I guess you're not going to be here by now, but I'm going to preach to this in person and you're going to have to listen. Um, if that is you, giving's a burden. You've never done it. First step, look to Jesus. You need to be inspired by him, by his life and death and resurrection. It's the only thing that can compel us to give. Uh, it's Giving is never something that should be done out of a sense of guilt or obligation. Uh, it should be done in, in response to Jesus. It needs to be inspired by the gospel, by the willing, sacrificial, and joyful life of Jesus. This is what enables us to be free with our money. So just soak on that truth. Ask God to pound it into your heart and your mind so you can be changed for it. And remember, Jesus invites you into his family. Let that inspire you. Look for opportunities to be sacrificially blessing others so that you can experience the great joy of giving. Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, thank you that you call us to this. Um, giving is an awesome act of worship to you. It's a means by which we experience your grace to us. It's a reminder that you are in control and all-powerful and own everything, and that we are nothing, that we can lay down our lives and our finances and trust you and participate with you in your mission uh, as your gospel goes forth. So, uh, Spirit, inspire us to be willing and sacrificial and joyful givers. People look at your church at West Village and just wonder, what's going on? How are they so joyful and so sacrificial and so willing as they look for opportunities to give away money? Um, We look forward to that day, Lord. Amen.